The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 141 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in again with us this week. Uh, We've got a fantastic show for you. First of all, we want to thank our reviewers uh, over on Facebook, Amy Jenks Helm. Thank you so much for the recommendation, as well as the kind words. We certainly appreciate it. And on Apple Podcasts, uh, thank you to Jed Colvin for the five-star review. I, I loved it. It caught my attention. His uh, The title of his review is just Wowza, which just made me smile. And, and Jed, I feel the same way about our amazing guests. And speaking of amazing guests this week, uh, my guest on the podcast is Jessica Frew. Uh, Jessica has such an incredible story to tell, and she is out changing lives. Uh, I cannot wait for you to hear her experiences and her perspective. Uh, But uh, I will just throw it out there that while we don't go into any details or certainly discuss anything inappropriate, there are some somewhat adult themes that we talk about. So a little bit of parental warning uh, is advised on this. Uh, And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, it's all about Molly Topher and uh, a little bit extra of the spirit. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here on the Latter day Lives podcast, my guest has such a fantastic story that I'm very excited to hear. She is also the co host of a podcast with some very surprising co-hosts of her own, but I don't want to spoil anything. We'll get to that in a minute, but Jessica Fru, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. No, I'm so glad to have you. We met through uh, our Latter-day Saint podcasters group, which is such a neat thing to be a part of. And when I saw what your podcast was about, I immediately said, she needs to be on Latter-day Lives. (laughs) So... We've got some bigger parts of the story that we're going to focus on later, but first we got to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you grew up. All right. So I grew up mostly in Idaho, although I have lived a handful of places. I've lived in Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Maryland, Virginia, Oklahoma, Belize, Colorado, and now I'm back in Idaho. And Idaho is by far my favorite. Um, So I've kind of moved around a lot. I've seen some different places. I grew up in the LDS church, born and raised, and I have always loved it. And I've always been kind of different in the church and just, I've always believed that I should, that God created me the way I am for a reason and that I should live true to that. And so I've always had weird hair and I always wore, you know, spunky clothes and just things that weren't the typical LDS, um, you know, what you thought of when you thought of a little Mormon girl, but was very straight edge all through high school and college and, and always have been. And I just love, um, the joy and the peace that the gospel brings to me. And I think that is the core of who I am and the teachings of Jesus Christ of trying to love others as Jesus did. And that's kind of how I have wanted to live my life and have grown up feeling that way. Um, so that's, I mean, I had a very 
idyllic, I would say, childhood. And it was great. When you were growing up, did you have, did your parents or your church leaders, did they struggle with with your fashions or did they accept you for who you were? You know, I think that's what really gave me a solid, confident base for who I am is that I never felt judged by my young women's leaders, by the people in my ward. Um, my parents were very much be who you are, love yourself. Um, one of the things that I live by is the statement, be bold. My dad always told me to be bold. And for me, that is just being true to who you are. That doesn't mean you have to be loud. That doesn't mean you have to be, you know, colorful or whatever. That just means living authentically and true to who you are. And so I think that really created that strong base for me to go on and deal with the things that I've had to deal with as an adult. And, um, recognize that I know who I am. And in that knowledge is where my strength comes from and where I find peace and joy in my life. So I think that was a true blessing. My One of my brothers served a mission and then the other one didn't. And I remember our ward just didn't skip a beat. Like they took him in, they got him a calling, they just loved him, accepted him. And I remember that being a very powerful moment for me too, to realize that this doesn't change the fact that he is who he is. This isn't making him a bad person. This is his own personal decision. And so watching that, I think really helped me as well. And what a beautiful blessing to see of this word that that's what we need to do, right? We need to just love and accept and bring people in, in spite of what they choose to do. It doesn't matter. Boy, isn't that just the message of the gospel? I love that. I'm glad to hear that. So growing up, what what were you into? Like, were you into sports? Were you into theater or? Uh, So I didn't do a lot of sports and I never considered myself athletic and partially because... I had heart issues starting at like sixth grade. And so they told me I couldn't do any sports. And so Mm. um, then my sophomore year of high school, I had a surgery or an operation for that, not like open heart surgery or anything, but, and it didn't fix it. And then, or no, sorry, eighth grade is when I had that. And then they went in again on my sophomore year and were able to fix that. So after that, I was kind of able to start doing sports, but I was already very much into singing and performing. Um, I wasn't into drama much, but I did do like our high school musicals and I loved being on stage. Uh, I loved singing in church and always have always will. It's one of my favorite things to do. Just, I, I love the power of music and the testimony that I can share through music. So I, that's always been a driving force to me that I have loved. So I did a lot of singing growing up um, and a lot of dating in high school. <laughs> a lot of, I did dating. A lot of dating. Okay. I loved dating. <laughs> I yeah. have tons of close girlfriends, but I had a lot of guy friends and just had a lot of fun dating and yeah, less drama with boys. I felt like that. Well, sometimes, sometimes yeah. Sometimes. That <laughs> When a girl gets involved, sometimes that drama kind of spikes, but I, I'm i with you. So you make it through high school. Yeah. Uh, where did you go after high school? I attended uh, ISU in Pocatello, Idaho, and got my degree in, well, I started as a music major and vocal performance major and just started hating singing. I just, like, hmm. the environment wasn't for me, and I just stopped liking it. And so my husband at the time was like, Jess, don't don't like keep pushing this. If you're not enjoying it, find something you love and go do it. So I switched and I ended up finishing as a family and consumer science major, which is home ec. (laughs) And that's like my love. It encompasses so many things that I just love doing. So 
Yeah. So, so elaborate a little bit on it. Cause I am so not familiar. I didn't even think of it as something you could get a degree in, but it is like family sciences. So you're doing like health and nutrition, um, child development, and then interior design and housing, mm. financial planning, and uh, sewing and like fashion stuff. So it's kind of like this weird group of all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What career track would that take someone on? So you can teach in the schools uh, as a home ec teacher doing like the oh, sewing okay, and right. classes. Uh, you can, what my drive at the time to do that, I wanted to teach like community classes to adults. Um, awesome. And then I ended up working... I always thought I would have kids by the time I graduated college. That wasn't the plan for me. Ultimately, I ended up working for American Cancer Society as a director of a camp here in Boise. And it's not, I mean, it's all of Idaho, but a big camp for kids that have cancer. So I worked there for a while. Awesome. That was quite quite, <laughs> a, quite a diverse path. So you said you thought you would have kids by the time you graduated from college and you didn't, but you've referred to your first husband a few times. Uh When did you meet your first husband? So I met him in college. He actually lived just a block away from me. And it's funny because I never knew who he was, but he had seen me walking back and forth to campus. And then he, he would see me like at the language lab. And so he had been paying attention. And then one day he ended up sitting next to me at a choir concert. He'd come to watch one of my friends at the choir concert and he was sitting next to me and got my phone number, asked me out the next day, and we were together every day after that. So I was 20. My daughter just asked me yesterday, how old were you when you married my dad? <laughs> we were 20. And um, we were married for another seven years after that. Yeah. So you got married when you were 20, which is very young. That's younger than I expected. I mean, you obviously hit college hard and you know, you, you, you accomplished a lot in your young life. So you guys are this young newlywed couple and he was a member of the church. He's a member of church. We got married in the Salt Lake temple. Awesome. And, um, the, I guess our story together really starts probably just a few days before we got married when he sat me down in what was going to be our apartment. And he's like, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I've, I've had this thing for my whole life that I have been so scared to share with my future wife. And I need to tell you before we get married, because it would not be fair of me to enter into this marriage without telling you. And his name's Steve, by the way, I haven't said his name. Steve. So Steve, Steve is my first husband. And, um, and I'm like, okay. And he tells me that he struggled with pornography since he was like 10, 11 years old. And, um, but he was temple worthy and he wants to be open with me about it. And my one big question was, I mean, we talked a lot, but is it child pornography? Because that is one thing I will not tolerate. And he's like, never has it crossed my mind. That's not an issue. Okay. Well then I'm still in. And I remember that weekend just like really focusing in on me and what I was feeling because I wanted to make sure I was still making the right decision and that this was what was right for us. And I fasted and I prayed and I didn't talk to anybody about it because I didn't want to betray his confidence. And I wanted it to be my own feelings and impressions. Um, And so, and I felt totally at peace with it. So we got married and I remember sitting in the temple after we got sealed and the sealer talking directly to me 
about this is the right decision. This is where you're supposed to be. And he said things that were direct answers to my prayers that nobody else in the room would have known Mm -hmm. or understood. And it was probably one of the most powerful moments in my life of feeling the spirit. And also um, just this reassurance that, you know, Heavenly Father's there and that I can trust this path no matter what it looks like. And I think that has set the tone for mine and Steve's relationship since then. So, yeah. Yeah. So you and Steve get sealed. This is it. We get married. You know, you're, We're on our way. You're, you're, think, you're thinking the rest of my life, this is it. And you spent some time, well, as we mentioned in Belize, you yeah. guys lived in Belize for a while, but you kind of lived all over. It sounds like the first few years were really kind of a, a whirlwind, huh? Yeah. I mean, we had fun. We did lots of things together. There was lots of intense moments of processing um, his issues with pornography. But then at some point I found a bunch of the pornography on his computer and realized it was all gay porn. And I was like, okay, this is a new thing that I didn't know about. And so that must have been such a shock. I mean, it was a shock. First first of all, I mean, there's the betrayal, uh, natural betrayal feelings of pornography. Generally, we've had multiple guests on whose, you know, spouse has struggled with pornography. But you've got a whole different layer mm-hmm. when you're talking about gay pornography. Yes. When suddenly, now had had you had suspicions that he was gay before this? Oh no, no. There's nothing in our relationship that really pointed to that or made me think that maybe that would be an issue. Um, and it was honestly, it was six months in that I found this, and I remember he was at work, and I'm laying. <laughs> we didn't have any furniture during the summer when we were living other places. Anyways, I was laying on the floor, like just crying as I'm looking at my computer, just going, what does this mean? How do I process this? And I'm like, and my poor husband who's processing this. And so when he came home from work, we talked about it and he was still very much in denial that he was gay. He was, he said, you know, it's just, I told myself that it was better to look at men than women because I didn't want to disrespect women. And so he had told himself this story for years to try to not Mm. have to deal with the fact that he was gay. And so about a year later after that, he was going to counseling and the counselor's like, yes, these other things are an issue, but the real issue is you're gay. And that's when he finally came to terms with the fact he was gay. And so that was like a year and a half into our marriage. Do you think he knew then and was just trying to deny or was he actually in denial? Um, He's, I mean, he said that he he knew on some level, of course, that he was gay. He's like, I had to. Uh, well, yeah, there must be some. I mean, right. Yeah. yeah. You're not looking at gay pornography thinking I have no interest in being yeah. gay. <laughs> not attracted. Yeah, I mean, sure. um, and so he said, though, the first time he really thought about that or allowed himself to even process those words was when I asked him that night, are you gay? And he said for the, I mean, he shut down for the next three weeks of just like this spiral of, am I gay? Am I gay? And just really trying to process that and come to terms with it. Wow. I can imagine. You you talk about how, how he went through therapy to try to figure things out for himself. Yeah. How did you process all this, Jessica? It's interesting to me. I, I honestly believe that I've been given a gift um, that 
I process things a little differently than most people. I'm very sure of who I am and of my testimony that I am a daughter of Heavenly Father and He loves me. And trust that as I'm trying to do my best to do what's right, I have this promise that I will be uh, protected and that things will work for my good. And that that's the promise we're given. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be doing my best. And by understanding that and knowing that, there is a peace that came through all of this that I don't understand. And it, you read about that in the scriptures, a piece that, that doesn't make sense, a piece that doesn't seem right. But I was given this piece and a, and on top of that, I was given a way to see Steve, I feel like as our heavenly father sees him, that here's this man that is wow. struggling and that has the guts and the courage to come tell me these things he's struggling with. And we were not perfect. There were times when... <laughs> He waited too long to tell me, and I'm falling apart wondering what is going on with him because I can tell something's wrong. But we really learned to trust each other and to talk to each other. And he really began to trust that I loved him no matter what. There was nothing he could tell me that I wasn't going to love him through. And and I feel that that was being able to separate that this was not about me. His addiction was not about his addiction to pornography was not about me. His being gay obviously had nothing to do with me. Um, and so I could separate those things to be able to show him that it was okay. He was still this good person. He was still this man I fell in love with. It was just other things that he had to process and, and come to love and accept about himself. Jessica, that's really amazing because I think, you know, most, many, if not most of us, the reaction is going to be, what does this mean for me first? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, uh, look, this, this has huge ramifications. Um, yes. At any point in this, were you thinking, okay, it's this is not going to work out in the early part of it? You know what's crazy is <laughs> when we talked about this on our podcast and I'm sitting there with my ex-husband and my husband discussing yeah. this. And um, when Steve really came to terms with the fact he was gay, he had we were in the process of moving to Belize. So he had left and I was still in Idaho taking care of last things, renting at our house, selling cars. And I'm living at my parents' house until it's all done. And, and it would have been the perfect time to leave, to end things. Like we're mm -hmm. already physically separated. He's gone. I'm here. All I have to say is I'm just going to stay. And it never once crossed my mind that that was what I was going to do. Um, I remember just reading books. Like I picked up a bunch of books at Deseret Book about people in similar situations and how I can mm. show up for Steve and how I can show up for myself and processing all of those things and knowing that it was a good possibility that he would have an affair or he would leave me or any of these things, but knowing that I was in this no matter what. And therefore... Mm. Whatever did happen, I had to accept because I was making a choice to stay. I can't, you know, I can't just put that on Steve because I am making a choice to stay in this relationship. So whatever happens was my choice in a way. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Was Did Steve ever like say, hey, if you need out, I understand. Did you ever have it from his end? Um, He never said those words, but I think I always knew that he would have been okay if I had, like he would have understood yeah. if I had decided to go that route. 
I don't think either of us ever considered ending the marriage until when it ended. <laughs> um, yeah. It just wasn't an option for us. And wow. we just continued forward. And so I ended up, I mean, obviously I moved to Belize and that's where we had our daughter. We ended up finally <laughs> being able to get pregnant and had a baby down there. And and then you moved back to the U.S. together? We did. So we ended up moving back when, and our daughter was little. She was like six weeks old when we moved back to the States. Um, and we moved to Colorado and Steve at that point was, was really aware of what he was dealing with and how he was going to deal with it if he wanted to stay in the church. And that was his desire at that time was to stay in the church, to stay in our marriage. And so we were both going to, um, support groups through the church. I was going to one for friends and family of pornography addicts. He was going to one for pornography addicts. He was also going to one once a month for, um, people who are gay and they they had a meeting. It was like an hour away that he would drive up to one Sunday a month and go to that. Mm. He had a counselor who was a very well-known, I think he wrote for LDS Living, um, and he would go see him once a month. And so we were very much involved. You're putting in a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. I mean, we were yeah. putting in the time and the energy. And it was, it was like probably the best our marriage had been. Steve was trusting me and telling me the things that he was saying, like the things that he was doing and the things that he was struggling with. And there were some things that were definitely hard to hear, but we were very open about all of that. Um, but it also gave me a purpose at that point. I, I realized that I could go into these meetings and I had processed a lot of this on my own and was in a very healthy place with how I was dealing with all of this. And I could, I watched these women come in who were just broken and I knew those feelings and I had mm. felt them, but it was something that I had processed much more quickly than many people. And I realized at that point that this was part of my calling in life and would be my whole mm. life is to help wow. serve these people who are feeling broken. And not only that, but also people who are like Steve, who are struggling to see the good in them, even though you've made mistakes or even though you struggle with something, there's like this gift that I knew that was, that was my calling in life. That was where I would go. And I knew I wouldn't have more kids. That was something that I, I felt very strongly and I wanted more kids, but I knew I wouldn't have more. And I knew that there was another, there were other things I was supposed to do. I, Jessica, that's, I got to say, it's amazing because that is the gospel. We go through our experiences, but usually we go through them, lots of pain, I hate this. This is the worst, whatever. We come out on the other side and it's years later that we're able to say, okay, now I'm going to, so for, for you to see it kind of as it's going is amazing. Uh, you said earlier, you ended up being married for seven years total. Is that right? About yeah. seven years? Mm -hmm. how, yeah. How did things end up kind of ending? Um, so we were in this great place in Colorado. We were doing so well. We had all this support and Steve worked for hotels and ended up getting a job in Oklahoma. And I remember when he told me the job was open and we us discussing it, I remember we were going to go, like thinking, okay, this is what we're going to do. But just, it was like heavy. And I knew something big was coming. And it, I know I was being prepared for <laughs> whatever might happen. And being very, yeah, 
just not sure about this move. And, but knowing we had to do it, like knowing I had, we had to do this. And we moved there and we went straight to the bishop, straight to the stake president and said, hey, these are the things we're dealing with. This is where we're coming from. This is what we've been doing to try to support. And they did not have any of that in place. Um, They had one support group in the stake that was general addiction support. And so Steve started going to that. And then so Steve and I were like, okay, this is our calling here is we need to start getting some of these these tools in place for other people. But it just, I think was too much for Steve. He had a very high stress job there. And um, we, the gym we started going to, we found out very quickly that it was like the gay gym (laughs) in Oklahoma City. And so he decided to- (laughs) That doesn't help. No. Yeah. That does not help strengthen the marriage. (laughs) No. So he had made a decision to not go there anymore. And we tried to put up safeguards, but it just fell apart so fast. And I came home one for Memorial Day weekend and I went back um, after that weekend. Penny and I had come home and I came home and I remember getting off the airplane. Penny's your daughter. Penny's my daughter. And we got off the airplane and Steve's at the airport waiting for us. And Penny, like one of the most vivid memories I have, Penny running to him and jumping into his arms and me just looking at him and knowing something was drastically wrong, like something had changed. And um, it took him about a week, but then he finally told me that he had had an affair while I was gone. He didn't know how he felt anymore. He was totally confused. He was just a mess. And we tried for a couple months to try and put it back together and um, figure out what it was we both wanted at this point. We we were living in his hotel and we were just moving to our apartment. And I just kept thinking, why am I moving into this apartment? Like, I'm not going to live here. But he kept saying he wanted to continue forward. So we moved in. It was just like this heavy fog. Um, and then I left for a couple of weeks. I said, I got to go. We need to figure We need a little bit of space to figure this out. But we only have a couple of weeks because if I leave longer than that, we have to tell people. And he wasn't ready to tell people yeah. that he's gay. And I'm like, and what other reason do we have to tell people we're getting divorced? Because we were very happy together. Um, and sure. so. Had, had, did, did anybody else, know, like any family or friends, did anyone know he was gay? Did your parents or your family, did anybody at this point know he was gay? So his mom, he had come out to his mom and we had told my parents about the pornography, but he wasn't mm. comfortable telling them that he was gay. So they knew about the pornography. Uh, his mom knew he was gay. And then we had one couple friends that knew that he was gay as well. Um, they went to the support groups with us and Steve had said it was okay for me to tell the wife because I brought it up in the support groups. I was like, if I say this in group, then she's going to know. And he's like, that's fine. And, um, and so she and her husband went to the other group. And so Steve told him as well. And so they were really the only ones that knew. So it was like, and then people that he went to the group, um, the same gender attraction group knew also, and we had had some of them over. And so I knew them, but it wasn't like a, we'd seen like a couple of them once or twice. So it was a very limited group that knew anything that we were really dealing with. Jessica, I'm listening to your story and I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes 
that you've got massive betrayal. I mean, betrayal at the highest level. He's now, it's gone to the next step. He's had an affair. I mean, it's one thing finding pornography, then learning your husband's gay. Then now he's had an affair, which is, it's just the ultimate betrayal. But you care about him. You care for him. You love him. But you've got no one to really go to. Did it? Two questions. First of all, I would love to hear the role of prayer and the atonement and everything else during this time. But secondly, how heavy is that weight? Because the you know there is prayer and the atonement and everything else, but there's also we all have those places that we can just go yeah. throw everything off of our shoulders. You didn't have yeah. those, and I think there's there's this part of the atonement that I really came to understand and know during this time. And it was that part of Jesus carried this sorrow for me. Jesus didn't just take away the pain of my sins. He took this pain for me, this Mm. heaviness, this having to feel this thing of what somebody else has done to affect me. And therefore, I can strive to let that go faster. It's it's been done. um, And the only thing it's going to do for me to hang on to that is cause me more pain and sorrow and bitterness and anger. And I did not want to get angry. I did not want to be bitter. I had moments of that. I remember one night specifically after we had separated, like (laughs) just getting mad. And of course, that's so natural. That's the only time I remember really getting mad at Steve because there was this, I watched this man struggle for so many years and fight to be who he thought he was supposed to be, to be who he had been told. And I watched him just beat himself up about it and just feel he wasn't enough. And I kept telling him, you are worthy. Like you are still a good, beautiful human being. This is just something you have, you've been given to struggle with. Like, this is your trial. I understand that, but that does not define who you are or make you any less of a person or of any less value. So I watched for years as he struggled with this and fought and, um, Therefore, I knew it wasn't done to hurt me. And it did hurt me. Yeah. But he... Of course it did. Also tried everything he could within that to make it right. To try to be, you know, the person he could even with what he had done. And he for a long time still beat himself up about it. And it actually wasn't until recording our podcast that he has started to realize the good he did during all of that time and not just focus on the bad. Mm. And that's what I was always hoping for, that I'm like, Steve, you got to see the good you are still bringing to this. This isn't just me that's a good person. This isn't just me that's making this work. You have made it so that we can make this work. Um, But I think just having watched all of his pain made it easier to let go of my pain. To know, you know, to to recognize that wow. and to feel that, and to realize that the atonement—that is the point of it—is so that I don't have to carry this. I can give it away. I don't yeah. have to hold on to the bitterness and anger, um, and I can forgive because that's beautiful. that's when we find joy. That is such a beautiful message. I think it's easy to become a martyr. It's easy to say, I, you know, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy yep. in every story. And the truth is, 
it's never that way. No. It's these are stories we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel yeah. better. And I just I'm blown away by you, Jessica. And this is amazing. Let's so we we end up you end up getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, did you move back to Idaho then at that point? Yes. So we owned a house in Idaho and we had only been in Oklahoma for a few months. I didn't know anybody. And, um, and I just told him, I said, listen, I can't stay here. I need some form of support. I need to feel like I have people around me and people that can help with our daughter right. because we are both emotionally a mess. <laughs> so he was like, that is fine. You you can move. It's, you know, go back to Boise. I totally understand. So Penny and I, um, packed up and I, I actually, this is a good story. I made Steve. So he was still in communication with the guy he had an affair with super nice guy. And I said, okay, I'm, when I come home, cause I'd been in Colorado for two weeks, kind of processing all of this, called my parents, told them I'm moving to home. like told everybody what was going on. I go back to Oklahoma. I pack up my stuff on the weekend and I say, okay, I want to meet this guy because you're talking like you're going to continue forward with him. And if Penny's going to be around him, I'm not going to have another opportunity to meet him before our daughter's involved in this situation. So we all went out to dinner <laughs> the night before I drove home to Boise. And I still Jessica, wow. How I mean, Steve's like a ghost, like totally like what is going on? in shock. And this guy and I are having this conversation and he actually drove me home that night, the guy he had the affair with. And he's like, Jessica, I keep telling Steve that if he has a wife and a daughter, he should stay that support him and love him. He should stay. I there's nothing I've ever wanted more in my life. And he's just bawling. And I'm like, it's okay. This isn't your fault. If it wasn't you, it would have been somebody else. And I'm just grateful it was you and that you're loving and that you see like Steve struggling and, um, anyways, it was an interesting conversation. Jessica, that is so surreal. I mean, it's really surreal too, but also at this time, Steve is not only making decisions yeah. about your marriage, he's making decisions about his status of membership yeah. within yep. the church yeah. as well. I moved home. We lived in Boise, um, Penny and I did. And eventually Steve uh, moved up to Boise as well. So he's back up here and he and I dated again after we were officially divorced because he's like, I can't leave the church. I can't leave you. I can't leave Penny. And so we actually started dating again and that was a total mess, <laughs> but we tried and we made sure that it was, you know, really what we wanted. And um, how old was Penny when you guys uh, split? She was two yeah. when we got divorced. In fact, r- the week after I got back to Boise, she t- it was her second birthday. So, so this is all she's really known. Oh yeah. yeah, she she says she remembers times when it was Steve and I together, but not yeah, not really, not sure. really. So, and I'm kind of grateful for that. I'm also grateful that she's just grown up knowing that her dad's gay and that it's not something that's going to come out when she's older, but that it's just an honest conversation that she knows right. and is aware of. Right. And, and uh, I think she's going to be better for it, knowing that we love and accept people who are different from us, who believe differently from us. Yeah. Um, so at some point, so, at some point you guys realize, okay, this is really done. It's over. Yeah. From what I can tell of your story, Steve decides, hey, I'm going to live the lifestyle of a gay man. Oh, yeah. It's not congruous with, you know, my membership and participation in the church the way it was, at least. Yeah. Um, so he makes that decision. 
you've yes. you've got Penny, and so, but it sounds like you did did the relationship because I know you have a very close relationship with him now, which yes. is amazing. Did did was there ever a break in that, and you came back to it, or has, has it just been constant all the way through? It's always been constant. I mean, it has definitely evolved and changed, and we've realized different boundaries and you know things that need to be set up, but. Steve, he needed that love and support still. Yeah, He was suicidal at the time um, mm. and just very lost and felt, you know, he didn't see who he was, except that he had left the church. He'd left it, his wife. And, and that's all he saw. was like the ne- what he considered the negative parts of himself. And I mean, for a couple of years, I slept with my phone on every night. And I said, listen, you call me if there's anything you need. Um, and I got a couple calls at two in the morning of him struggling and and wanting to to kill himself. And I just, you know, please go home, get in bed and call me in the morning. Like, it's going to be okay. You need to be here. I need you. Your daughter needs you, please. And And those were, I knew I had to still be there for him. And he also during this time committed, he's like, listen, I am not, I am not living true to what I told you I would do when we had a kid together. He's like, but I can support you financially as much as I can. Um, and do these things to try to be like, to still fill those roles. And he, and so, I mean, there was a lot of that, that we both just tried to support and love where we could. Um, yeah. And lots of talks about how we wanted our divorce to look and how we wanted our relationship to look going forward. Yeah, that's a lot. I, you know, and that's a lot. a lot of big conversations with family and with friends. And yes, you know, uh, yeah, that's a lot. Um, so, a question that has come up a lot lately. You know, we had a guest last week who came home from his mission early, and we talked about, you know, what people said within his ward and and within our community that was helpful. But we also talked about things that were less helpful. Yes. And I I get the feeling you may have heard some things that were less helpful, but I'd love to hear both. And this is great for our audience to hear if someone's going through, whether it's going through a divorce, going through struggles with being gay and what that means themselves or with a spouse or with whatever, what was helpful? What was not helpful? So some of the things I think are the most helpful for somebody who is coming out, and I think this goes with leaving the church as well um, is just to let them know you still love them, that they are still a good person. I feel like the more Steve was told, the more I really affirmed to him that he was a good person and that I still loved him, the better communication, the stronger our relationship was. Um, and the, the faster he came to heal and wanted to stay with us on this earth, which is what we all want. Um, And so I think there were, you know, people just need to hear that you love them. I feel like that's the most you can, the best thing you can do in the moment of somebody coming out is that you are still loved. You are still part of my family. You are still my friend, whatever it is. And I think a huge mistake we make a lot of times is that we make it about us. So the person's coming out to us and we make it well, like I know Steve heard things like, well, what am I going to tell my kids now? What am I going to tell the, my, the members mm, of my ward? No. How am I going to, you know, what am I supposed to? And I'm like, no, <laughs> that just puts more, 
guilt on them. That just brings more pain and suffering instead of helping them try to heal. And my firm belief is that the more love we show, the more acceptance we show, the more likely they are to feel the love of Christ and of our Heavenly Father in their life. Um, They know what we believe. They don't need to hear that in that moment. They know what we stand for. If we are living those standards, they don't need to hear it. They will see it and they understand it. And ideally, they will respect that because we are respecting them in their decisions. Um, But I think... I think really those two things are key, making sure they know that they are loved and making sure that we don't make it about ourselves in any way. And also there's no harm in saying, good advice. I'm probably not going to do this perfectly. I want to be here for you. Please let me know if I offend you or if I mess up, like I want to have an open conversation. I'm going to do my best. Like just put that out there because it's just the reality that we're going to make mistakes. There's no perfect playbook for this kind of thing. You know, we all do the best we can as we go along. But I think that's great advice, especially not making it about you. And and that's good advice for somebody coming out, for people getting a divorce, for people going through trials, for people with addictions, like all of that. It's not about you. It's about the other person. It's about the savior and the atonement. So now, so skipping forward now, you are not a single woman, which is a big part of your story. That's right. Tell us about your husband. It was kind of funny because when Steve moved back to Boise, we ended up moving into the same ward, which is a ward we had been in when we were married. So Steve and I moved back into this ward, but we're divorced and we're dating. And my now husband moved into that ward within like two or three weeks of us. And I did not know him. I was in this like whole world of my own trying to figure out what the heck's going on with my husband. But he and Steve met in Elders Corn. In fact, Matt, my husband, says that Steve was the first person to come up and introduce himself and make him feel welcome in the ward. Wow. And so, yeah. So they start mountain biking together. And um, there's like this group of guys that go mountain biking together and they meet at my apartment complex because a couple of the guys lived at my apartment complex. And so one day I'm up there and Steve's like, well, this is Matt. He's in our ward. And I remember in that moment, Stephen, I knew Steve and I were done. We hadn't officially ended things, but thinking, I'm going to marry this guy. (laughs) I used to make fun (laughs) of people for this. And I did not know him at all. I literally had just met him. I love this. And so Steve and I officially end things like a week later. And I call Matt. Like I sang in church and I spoke in church that Sunday. And I hit him up on Facebook. I'm like, hey, what are you doing this Friday? I'd love to hang out with you. And he's like, I am so confused. (laughs) What is going on? And he's like, he didn't know what like mine and Steve's relationship really was because it was just the guys mountain biking. It wasn't like they were having this oh, in-depth that's so funny. And um, it's like, okay, next time you go mountain biking, come over to my apartment after and I'll explain everything. And he's like, okay. So we had this whole big conversation and I tried to get him out to go out a couple times. It never really worked. And then he's like, listen, I'm super flattered, but I'm dating this other girl named Jessica. <laughs> And yeah, we're far enough in. I want to see where it goes. Um, and I can't date both of you. Like I wouldn't feel right about it. I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, when you break up with her, you let me know. And I told him that for like the next nine months, whenever we would talk and stuff, we'd see each other at church. We'd see each other at the gym. I'd be like, all right, how are things going? Well, let me know when you break up with her. Uh, I think we'd have a really good time. I think we'd have lots of fun together. 
And he said at some point he couldn't get that out of his head that we would have fun together. He's like, you told me we'd have fun together and I want to have fun. And I'm like, all right, well then. So we broke up with her and then we ended up and we got married eight weeks later. And and had Matt been married before? He had been married before. So he has two kids. So I have two stepkids. Um, and his his situation is like the complete opposite of mine and Steve's. So Steve and I, Steve comes over for family dinners. He comes over once a week to have dinner just at our house. Uh, he, we have a pool. He hangs out at the pool. We do holidays together. I mean, just he's part of the, he's very much a part of the family. And that took, you know, some figuring out and whatever. But we always say <laughs> you got to get uncomfortable to figure out what you're really comfortable with and what works. And so there was a lot of that at the beginning of mine and Matt's marriage of definitely figuring out how this looks and how this works for us. Um, but yeah, and I think Steve or Matt appreciates our relationship so much more because we have a very high conflict relationship with Matt's ex-wife. And so I always say, I always say the divorce was hard and horrible. Remarriage was so much harder. Yeah, it's I like bet. Oh, it's so hard. I understand that so many, so many second marriages do not work. So, well, not only does Steve come over for dinners and to swim and hang out, but all of this leads to the maybe the most fascinating podcast <laughs> that has ever been. Tell us about yeah. the podcast. So, we have a podcast called Husband in Law. And it's called husband in law because Steve had a dream one night that he was introducing like his friends and Matt was there. And he, you know, like when you introduce your friends, you're like, Hey, this is my friend from work. This is my brother-in-law. This is whoever he's trying to figure out how to introduce Matt. And he's like, well, this is, this is my husband in law who's married to my ex-wife. <laughs> and so that's always been our joke from now on that Steve and Matt are husband in laws. Um, so funny. And last year I told the guys, I said, listen, I felt for years that we have the opportunity to share a story, to give hope to other people, to help them through these situations and, or, and to have people think differently about any relationship they're in. Because that was my whole thing going into our divorce is I had only seen the ugly side of divorce, like not personally, but just in my friends. You know? Right. And I just thought I cannot have that. I do not mm. want that. And I and finally, one day it dawned on me that I didn't have to. I can rethink how I show up in a divorce. I can make it into whatever I want it to be. Um, and that's kind of what I did with my relationship with Steve when we were married, too. Like, yeah, I'm supposed to be supposed to be really hard to be married to a man that has pornography issues and that's gay and, and, and all of these things. And I'm like, but I can make that into something beautiful if I choose to. And and so that's kind of what we want to do with our podcast. And I told Steve, I'm going to start this podcast, sharing our story. I felt driven to do this for years and I, I have all the right connections. We're going to do it. And he's like, said, you can join me or not. And he's like, I guess I'm in. Like, I can't just have you <laughs> doing all this without me. So um, wow. yeah, we talk about everything and just put it all out there to help people show up differently to their relationships. That is just awesome. And it's you, Matt, and Steve all participating. The three of us. Yep, the three of us. Jessica, I have no words to tell you how much I love this. I just <laughs> love it. I love it because I think sometimes we think, okay, this means this. Divorce yep. means this. Yes. Your gay means this. Mm -hmm. And you guys are kind of breaking that down and saying, no, with love and with the atonement and with relationships, 
it doesn't have to mean certain things. We can yeah. define what it is and show love and value. It's amazing. Yeah. And and our whole point is like, it has to be what works for you. Like not everybody's going to be able to have the relationship Steve and I have, and that is okay. It is not meant for everybody, but there is a way to make it peaceful. There is a way to find peace and love in your life in spite of those things. And one of the things I always say is if I had not opened myself up to this, if I had not trusted from day one that Heavenly Father wanted me in this situation, that there was a point in me doing all of this, that I would not get to experience this type of love that I have felt for Steve and for other people in his situation. Like I, that right there is worth every minute of it. it I've learned to love people in a way that I never thought I would. And, um, that has been such a huge blessing in my life of just the more you open yourself up to that, the more love there is to give. And it's in different forms and different ways, but it's, it's beautiful. Jessica, I love it. If people want to find the podcast, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. And then uh, also mm-hmm. on social media, people can find you on Instagram, on on Facebook. And again, you'll never forget the name, the Husband-in-Law Podcast. It's <laughs> just so fantastic. Jessica, you have such a great message of hope. I'm so glad we had a chance to have this conversation. We are going to finish the uh, conversation with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, Jessica Frew, what does being a member of the church mean to you? So I think of the church and the gospel kind of as, I mean, they're definitely intertwined, but they're a little bit different for me. And the gospel is this peace and comfort and opportunity to grow in love, uh, just as Christ and Heavenly Father have have loved us and an opportunity to reach my full potential. Um, And then in the church, I feel like there is this opportunity to learn how to love other people and how to help each other grow and view this world in a different light. That that's that's the joy we get of meeting as a church, as a congregation, is being able to see each other's struggles and support each other in those struggles and being able to love each other in a new way and ideally love those around us in a new way. Oh, I love that. She is the ex-wife and best friend of an openly gay man. (laughs) She is a wife. She is a mother. She is a stepmother. So many awesome roles. She's an amazing child of God. And her podcast is the Husband-in-Law Podcast. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's great to be here. And my special thanks to Jessica for coming on and sharing her story. She has such a vibrant soul and an impressive spirit, and she is so much fun. She was so great to talk to, and I I just know she is out there changing people's lives with her story. So, Jessica, thank you. Uh, This week in my Latter-day Life, I had one of the most difficult days I've had in a very long time on Saturday. Uh, Fourteen years ago, we got the sweetest, most wonderful dog Her name is Molly, and oh, how I love Molly. She just loved our family and was just one of those dogs that you could not help but love. And over the years, uh, as dogs do, she aged. And over the last year or two, especially, you know, she developed cataracts and uh, lost her hearing. And we started to notice that uh, she wasn't quite as strong in her legs They would go out from under her from time to time, but she was really kind of holding it together. But over the past week, she really degenerated and uh, was falling over and having a hard time standing at all. 
And uh, on Saturday morning, we woke up and it, it had gotten so bad that after some prayer, we knew it was time for us to say goodbye to our, our sweet girl, our sweet Molly. And so we spent some time sitting with her and cuddling and and uh, just loving her and then took her over to the vet and she crossed over to the other side. And I was able to hold her head in my lap and scratch behind her ears and my wife was able to to scratch her also as as she passed and it was it was really uh, gut wrenching it was painful it felt physically painful it was so difficult and i came home and uh said a long prayer and started to feel some peace and then we got some absolutely devastating news um 25 years ago when my wife and i were a young newlywed couple, we became friends with a couple named Chris and Lisa. And Chris was a theater director, and Lisa and I were in a comedy group together. And Chris was just the most talented, fun friend. And we hung out with them a lot, as well as our dear friends, Ken and Katie, who are also performers. They've been past guests on the show. But uh, we had such a good time. We spent uh, holidays together sometimes. Like uh, We did Halloween parties together with some other friends. Uh, One year, Chris and Lisa and Vanessa and I, just the four of us, went out and did New Year's Eve and laughed until, I mean, it was just one of the most fun nights uh, in my memory. And a few years ago, we were devastated to learn that uh, Chris had been diagnosed with ALS. And ALS is such a ravaging disease on the body. And I remember crying, just crying when I found out, because Chris is, again, just such a an energy. He was a director at UVU and at the Hale Center Theater, and so respected and so loved by so many people. And we had drifted a little bit uh, over the years. We didn't spend a lot of time together, but we always we always stayed in touch and we always kept up on each other's lives. And we would certainly bump into each other in different places. And since his diagnosis, we got to see him a few times. And the first time we saw him, he was just Topher. Topher's his nickname, Christopher. Uh, he was just the Topher we know and love. And then the next time we saw him, Chris was using a, uh, a cane, and his speech was different. It was slurred a little bit, and a little bit, uh, you know, he was struggling to speak a bit. And then the next time we saw him, he was in a wheelchair and barely speaking, and things had really taken a more difficult turn. And the final time we saw him, a few months back, uh, he couldn't move his body at all, and uh, he couldn't speak at all. And I was so grateful that I was able to see him and give him a hug. And then Saturday, we found out that Chris had passed away on Saturday morning. And again, it just felt like a punch to the gut. I felt physically sick and I cried and cried and cried at the loss of my dear friend. And I didn't know how many tears I had left, but I cried for Lisa as she is now uh, going to be raising their children alone. And she has lost her partner in all this, uh, Chris, who she loves so much. And the world has lost such a great man. And the pain felt again, inconsolable. I mean, this was two big losses for me in one day. But as I knelt down and prayed, and I begged Heavenly Father that he would give me the Spirit, an overwhelming peace came came to me. 
I mean, just such an incredible peace. I knew that Chris had gone on to a better place and that his suffering was over. And I knew that the time really in the the big picture was very short before Lisa and his children would be back with him. I knew he was faithful to the end and that families are forever. And I was so grateful that his suffering was over and all I could see was joy. All I could feel was gratitude for his life and gratitude for our friendship and gratitude for Lisa and her strength. And as I thought about Molly, our sweet dog, all I could think about were the good times and the good memories and what a sweet dog she was. And that I have no idea how it all works, but that maybe someday I get to be with her again as well. And suddenly all I could see was good. And that was a gift of the Spirit. If we will really pray, that comforter that we are promised it will come. Jessica talked about it in the interview as well. And it's there. It's there for us. And I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful for that extra portion of the Spirit. And as I laid in bed on Saturday night, I had such peace, such comfort, and such a a knowledge that this life is the test and we will go through difficult times, but He will comfort us, He will be there with us, and that we can get through these times. And I'm so grateful for that Spirit. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We truly appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, if you could leave us a good review, we would uh, be very grateful. It helps other people to find the show. If you know people who might enjoy the show, if you'd please share this with them, uh, that way we can get these incredible stories in front of as many people as possible. Well, I guess that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again... There is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.